it's, uh, I did youth ministry for a long time, not near as long as Ron has done it, but, um, yeah, right, so youth ministry is one of those things, it's so, it's, it's fun, but, and it's taxing, emotionally, physically, all those things, and so I'm so thankful for Ron and, and those ladies and men that, that helped participate in that, and I, I just want you to know that your students are in great hands by people that uh, I've not met a more authentic person than Ron, and that's one of the things that when we talk and get together, it's, that's kind of the common thing that we throw back and forth at each other is just authenticity. Like, that's what engages people. That's what reaches people. And, um, you know, that's, that's what the kingdom of God really flourishes in is authenticity. And, and, you know, we've been, as we've been going through this study, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. If you're here today and maybe you haven't heard uh, anything up to this point, we do have a podcast. I encourage you to check that out. But, you know, the Sermon on the Mount's not something that if you've been around church long enough that you haven't engaged with at some point or another. But the thing about Jesus and the way that he teaches in this is there's a common theme. And when he's teaching on these subjects, and some of them are very difficult, some of them are very hard to kind of navigate. And, you know, the thing that we can't do when we engage Scripture is we can't read Scripture for our own benefit, right? Like we can't read God's Word and see what we can get out of it to make ourselves feel better about ourselves where we're at. We're, we're not supposed to read it to fit it around my life. That's not, that's not how we're supposed to read the Bible. We read it with, in a way that we're inviting the challenge because we're assuming something about ourselves, and we should be as Christians. Not all Christians do, and that's the unfortunate nature of where we are in Christianity, but the way we should be engaging with the Bible is, God, what do you have to challenge me with? Like, God, what do you have to say to me that I'm not doing? Because inherently the Bible tells us that for all of sin and fallen short of, short of God's glory. And so we know that there's this case of originality of sin within us that is, that is robbing us from truly knowing and experiencing God or blinding us in some capacity. And so we've got to engage with God's word and God, how can you reveal something to me that I desperately need? Not how can you make me feel better about myself or make me justify whatever, wherever I'm living or whatever I'm doing. But no, it's, but God, how can you challenge me? And this is the, the, the case of a loving God. This is how God shows his love to us, is challenging us in the place that we are and what we're doing. And so what we want to do this morning as we kind of engage, as we go into, we're moving into chapter 7, kind of the, the, the home stretch of the Sermon on the Mount. We really begin to see Jesus just really leading in how we engage and walk through this Christian life. Like that's what the Sermon on the Mount really is. It's about a kingdom citizen, how they live, how they look, how they function. And so this morning, as we read into uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, you'll hear some words, you'll hear some, some common maybe uh, verses you've heard before, maybe you've interpreted them a certain way or dealt with them a certain way. But I just want us to kind of engage with it, kind of in a way at which the entire Bible, especially this sermon that Jesus is teaching here that through this theme of humility how can we approach it with humility God how can you reveal to me something desperately that I need in it that I don't have it all figured out that I don't know all the answers God how can you challenge me in this um, and so we're going to read together in Matthew chapter 7 verse and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 and, and I just pray that as you hear some strong language as you hear some things that maybe in your life or people in their life have kind of held on to for certain aspects of their life or certain things that will allow ourselves to be challenged a little bit. Okay, can we agree to that? So Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 6 say this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use it 
it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I always love the little turn that it takes there and gets really, really, like dogs and pigs and pearl, all this stuff. It gets really, really intense right there. But, uh, but so as we read that, and I know that as I was going through that, you immediately were like, okay, I recognize that. And the funny thing is, as Christian and non-Christians alike, this is a, a commonly quoted verse. We, we know this verse. You know, we actually taught on this verse last summer, but, uh, you know, it's just cool how God kind of brings us back into these places to maybe re-engage with it. And for all of us, there's something in it that we desperately need again. But to, to say these words, judge not, yet you be judged, like we've heard that, right? We've seen it on bumper stickers. We've seen it, people quote it and say it. And, and, and there's a lot of different ways at which people engage with it. And a lot of ways, if, especially on the, the, the non-Christian side of it, it's like, hey, your God says not to judge me, right? So you can't judge me. You can't, you can't, you can't acknowledge me in that way. You have, to, you have to deal with whatever I'm doing or however I'm living, okay? And so then there's the other side of it where on the other side of it, the, as far as Christians go, we can be very heavy-handed and very staunch in how we apply judgment. And so what we have to understand about this verse, first and foremost, remember the theme of this is humility. The whole sermon, the theme of it is humility and how Engage. And so what did we talk about? That with Jesus, it wasn't so much the outward appearance or the outward action. That his focus was our hearts. Like that's what even the last few weeks have been about. It's been about our heart. Like how, where is your heart? Because where your heart is, there your treasure is. And where your treasure is, there your actions will go. Like that, that is how we will live. We will live based on where our heart is. And so when Jesus is saying this, he's kind of getting to that space. And we'll kind of see this as we move through these verses. But the thing we need to understand about this is when Jesus says here in verse 7 uh, chapter 7 verse 1 he says judge not that you be not judged and so when he's using this word judge remember the Bible is written in three different languages and so there's different interpretations for different words and how those things play out the word judged here can be interpreted several different ways through the Bible they the English word is judged but there's other ways at which that word is utilized but here when it is saying judge not yet you be judged he is saying do not apply verdicts unless you want verdicts applied to you. Okay, and so this is what we have to understand. This is where we have to differentiate our responsibility as Christians to engage with each other in our Christian walk and what he is speaking of here, applying verdicts. Because what is a verdict? You know, a lot of this language we know used from, from the, the, the judicial system. When we hear the word verdict... That's a sentence, right? Like that, that is, this, you're a guilty or not guilty. Like that is the verdict, okay? And so Jesus is saying here, he says, he's, he's, he's engaging with a very specific mindset. And so this is, and I love how Jesus starts this because this is what he wants them to understand about this process. He says, judge not, yet you be judged. And so what he's saying here is do not apply verdicts unless you want those verdicts apply to you, the final stamp, right? And so this is where we need to get our mind, okay? Because there's something here that we need to know and that we have to engage with when we navigate our Christian life. 
but he's revealing to us a role. Okay, so he's talking about a different, you know, he's talking about something different than verdict when he continues on through these verses. Because there is something that he is calling us to do. And the thing that we need to understand, you know, first and foremost, you know, the Bible talks about God applying judgment. He talks about the judgment seat. Like there's all these things. There is this, this sentencing that he speaks of, this accountability that God applies. And so the thing that I believe that Jesus is establishing here is that we are not the ultimate judge. And that's what we have to understand as we navigate things. Because I really believe what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is kind of leading us to reclaiming Christian relationships and how we engage with each other, how we hold each other accountable. And he's going to teach us a way at which we do that. And I love how he starts this. He says, Judge not yet, you be judged. Like, don't apply verdicts because we don't have that authority. We don't have that power. Because our judgment in applying verdicts, we, we can't see like God sees. We can't see the heart, right? We, we don't know what's happening. Okay, so, so I, Jesus is establishing that. As we reclaim Christian relationships, as we deal with people within the context of our faith family or how we navigate that relationship, he says, don't apply verdicts. Why? Because we don't have the power. We don't have the insight. We don't have all the evidence to be able to apply verdicts. And so then as he continues through this, what Jesus really begins to do is he wants to show us that even though we don't apply verdicts, there is a molding that, that goes through that happens in our life as we engage with relationships with each other. And this is important. And this is where for us that, that a person can read that. We can read that one verse. And, and when we talked about it this summer, it was in the context of misunderstood verses. But when we read this, we can take this verse out of context and we can say, hey, you have no right in our mind to say anything to me about where I am, about what I'm doing, about how I'm living or how I'm leading. Okay? But we need to remember and it is a heavy thing because even the, the church historically has failed at not seeming as if we're applying verdicts to people, final judgments to people. But what do we, we don't have that power. We can't apply final judgments. So that we don't apply the verdict. But there is something, there is a molding that happens. And so as he continues, there's a couple of things that I think that we can really, really see from this. There's a, a role that we play in this process as Jesus begins to kind of lay this out. He really starts heavy-handed. He says, judge not yet, you be judged. Don't apply verdicts because we don't have the power to apply verdicts. But there's a, there's a process. There's something else that he's leading us to. And so he continues on through this. And he calls us to a couple of things. And, and, and remember... The place at which Jesus is really hitting at in the sermon is it's not so much the outward action, but it's the, it's the heart of the individuals. It's the heart of the individuals. And so one of the first things that I believe that Jesus really wants us to understand as we navigate this process is he calls us to evaluate, evaluate our motives. And our motives for what? If we're not applying judgments, what do we do? Even though we don't apply judgments, we do engage in assessments. You know, the Bible talks about that, that there is a fruit to be seen, that there is something to be visible from a person's life who calls themselves a follower of Christ. So there should be an outward representation of who we are in Jesus and how we live, how we act, and how we navigate. So in that, as we engage with our relationships, there is an assessment that takes place. There's a, an acknowledgement of fruit. There's a, a visualization of the manifestation of the Spirit of God within 
a believer that is outwardly seen. And it's not just through religious acts. We've already talked about that through this series where Jesus is like, it's not about the religious duties. Like that's not what makes you a Christian. Even though it's not wrong for us to be religious in how we engage with Christ because we do a lot of things religious. We talked about this last week. But it's about our heart. Where is our heart? Is our heart with Christ, or like we talked about a couple weeks ago, or is our heart with our investment in the world? Is our heart in our stuff? Is our heart in our job? Is our heart in, in our friends? Is our heart in, in our accomplishments? Is our heart in our comfort? Or is our heart in Christ? Is our heart connected to the will of God and what, what He wants for us? So that's the thing. you know. And, and with that... We assess and see, you know, from that there should be an outward representation of how that looks. So continuing on in uh, Matthew chapter 7, so verse 1 he says, Judge not that you be not judged. And verse 2 says this, he says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And so there's the verdict, right? He says, so the verdict that you pronounce, that same verdict, the same weighty verdict will be applied to you. And he said, you know, in, in reality, like that's when we're really honest with ourselves, if we consider the, the spaces at which if you've navigated religious spaces and you've dealt with people, you know, the reality is, and, and we'll get, kind of get into this as we move, but we want a fair assessment of ourselves, right? We want a fair assessment, and, and Jesus is calling them to give a fair assessment to other people. And so he says here in verse 2, he says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And then he says, and this is important, and this is the space at which we engage with. He says, For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And so there's this consideration that has to happen. Okay, and the thing that, remember, the first place Jesus starts is he starts in the heart. So what is he starting at here? He's starting at the motive of the individual that's engaging in that assessment. What is the motive? What is the measure? Like, what, are, what is the consideration? And so as he gets into this, you know, and we've already read how relationally, how we kind of engage with each other some, but he's calling us to a motive. And remember, the theme of this being humility. How are you engaging? What is the assessment? What is the measure? Is it a humble measure or is it a prideful measure? Is it, is it authentic or is it hip, hypocritical? Like, what is the measure at which you're engaging in that assessment? You know, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 through 15 is, a, is, a, is an example of one type of, of way that we engage in that. He says, For if you forgive others their trespass or their sin, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so what do we see there? We see a, a measure. A, 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 and he's telling, if you don't apply this measure to others, then you can't expect that measure back to you. And so there's this relational engagement that happens. And so the question that we have to, to have to have, okay, when we engage relationally with someone that uh, is engaged in sin or living in sin, he says, this is where you start. What is the motive? What is the motive for you to engage? Because the Bible calls us to engage with each other. The Bible calls us to hold each other accountable. The Bible calls us to engage in a relational aspect where we're able to say to each other that we're falling out or leading out of the space at which God has called us to live, whether it's in obedience or just in our Christian witness or whatever that might be. And so the question is, you know, what is the motive? When we begin to assess our fellow Christian, we have to have a motive before that assessment begins. We have to have a mindset before that assessment get, begins. And so we have to ask ourselves, is our motive for their good 
Is it for ours? And that's important. Is it for our, their good or is it for ours? Because remember, if our heart is tethered to Christ, then our motives should mirror Christ. And so what was Christ's motive when He came? The Bible tells us, For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, so that through Him, if we would believe, we would be saved. And He said what? He said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but I came to do what? To set them free. To loosen chains, to not apply them. To release prisoners, not to put them in. And so we see this measure at which Jesus engages with us. A motive. I want to see salvation happen. I want to see people be let go from their chains. I want to see the, the veil of shame ripped off of people. The, the, the pressures of guilt removed. Like I want to see people live in freedom because that's what Christ wanted for me. And so that's going back to that judge not yet you be judged. He's saying, man, don't apply final verdicts to people because what happens? When a final verdict is applied, that verdict is sealed, right? It's done. Guilty, not guilty. When it's applied, the jury decides it's done. So there's this measure, this motive. Is it for their good, the individuals we're engaging with, or is it for ours? That's, a, that's an important space. And I love how Jesus, he always wants the individual to start with themselves before we outwardly participate in anything. So the first thing is if we need to or, or want to engage with someone who is trespassing, leading a life of sin, doing sinful things as a believer, what does he say? Let's assess our measure. Let's assess our motive. How are we engaging? Why are we engaging? He says, are we trying to acknowledge these things out of concern and Christian love, seasoned with grace and mercy, or, does it, or, or does it, is it us calling out someone else's mess to make me feel better by my own? And so this is where, and, and this is where Jesus is being very difficult and very, uh, very direct towards the religious people because that's how they were living. And, and Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that those people, they, they weren't living for God. They were li re living a religious life and calling everyone else to this standard at which them, they themselves were not living. And so then I love how when Jesus does this, he says, for the judgment, the verdict that you pronounce will be judged or that verdict will be given to you. And he says, for with the measure you use, the motive, the consideration you use, it will be used towards you. And so motive, consider yourself, consider that, and not only consider your motive, but then this is where Jesus goes. And this is where we can be challenged a little bit. This is where, this is where it gets difficult. Because it requires something of us. It requires a, a, a bit of obedience. And it requires, most of all, a little humility. And so what does he say as he continues on in chapter 3? He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And I love what Jesus is doing here. Because what Jesus is doing... And this, this illustration seems very extreme. And we know from past illustrations that Jesus has used, he uses extreme illustrations for a reason. And typically that illustration is meant to point back to us doing something for ourselves first. Before we seek out to do anything, before we do a religious act, before we hold anybody accountable, before we correct anybody, before we discipline anybody, the first place we go is to ourselves. And he says here, 
He says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but not notice the log in your own eye? And the reason he says this, he's not saying that our sin is worse than their sin. It's not this comparative thing. Jesus is not trying to make us compare ourselves to each other. And really, in all honesty, that's most of our fault. There's a lot of times we compare ourselves to other people and then we convince ourselves, well, I'm not that bad, so I must be okay. But Jesus says, no, the Bible says, no, we're all bad and we're all not okay. And we need something outside of ourselves to fix that problem. And Jesus is that answer. And so what Jesus is calling us to do as Christians, he's calling us to the space of humility and authenticity where we engage with the idea that our issues need to be our focus. That if we have sin that is affecting us, we need to acknowledge it. We need to deal with it. And I love how he uses this extreme illustration because what he's trying to show us is he's trying to show us that there is a place at which our, our priority should be. Because if there is a speck somewhere else and a log in my own, it's going to hinder me in so many ways, right? It's not only going to hinder my, my view, but it's going to hinder my mobility. It's going to hinder the way I engage with things. Like it's going it's to it's hinder me in so many different ways. And so that's what Jesus is trying to get us to do. He's like, Listen, before we even remotely begin to consider where someone else is falling short, and he, he gives this elaborate illustration, this kind of hyperbole situation where he says, like, you have a log in your own eye. Because he's wanting us to consider our sin. And I love, Paul was great at this. He wants us to consider how great our sin is. And, and, and not ever compare and never let it be that someone else's sin is greater than mine. Our minds should never be there. We need to be considering our own sin, our own issues, because they're affecting us. And that's why Jesus is saying this. He's saying, see your own issues as big issues and deal with them. I love Paul was like this. You know, Paul would say, you know, that, that Christ came to save sinners who I'm the chief of. Now, we know that Paul wasn't the worst sinner that ever lived. Surely there are worse people than Paul. But he's applying that log and speck mentality within his own life. And he says, and I'm the chief of sinners. I need God's grace more than anybody. Because Paul knew that in that humility, it would lead him into every relationship he would ever have with authenticity. Because, listen, the, great, the, the antidote to hypocrisy is humility. If you're humble, you cannot be a hypocrite. And I'm not saying that we live self-deprecated and just allow ourselves to be just trampled by life. That's not what humility is. Humility is allowing ourselves to see ourselves not... We don't have to, to see ourselves as low, dirty, rotten people who have, are no good at anything and can't do anything. No, that's not how we have to live and navigate. But we always have to live within this space, as Paul, as, as Paul would say, and even as Jesus is teaching here, like, hey, we've got issues. We've got problems. You know, we've got our own sin. We've got our own struggles. And so what we have to do as Christians in our life to grow, to see, to flourish, and not only that, but to deal with people. And a lot of times when we talk about this, seeing the speck in your brother's eye or that relational aspect, like we look at it uh, as people like friends we have at church or people we engage with, but this applies 
to the disciples closest to us too. And, and, and the people as parents here today, our disciples are our children. Like we're discipling, or not our disciples, but the people we're discipling in our life, where discipleship should be happening is with our children, with our spouses, with the people closest to us. And so we have to even engage with this within our, our the way we parent, in the, within the way that we have a relationship with our spouses. Like we have to engage with this idea that there's things within me, this humility that we have to have. Because when we have this humility, it allows me to enter into every relationship with authenticity so that I can adequately lead, so that I can adequately engage, and so that I can adequately love the way that God has called me to. Listen, there is no place for love when pride is present. There's no place for true love when pride is present because we're always going to elevate ourselves above, right? I mean, you consider it in, in, a, in a relationship between a husband and a wife. Like, if, if, if pride is present, then we're always going to elevate ourselves. Like, if, I, if pride is present within me, and, and this happens on and off, like you engage in, a, in an argument or something like that, when pride is there, you know it's there because you're not right and it doesn't matter what happens or what you said or what you did right? And then you walk off or, or time goes by and you sit back and you think to yourself and you're like, I was an idiot. Like, I was so wrong in this situation, like, but I tooth and nail was fighting to say I was right, right? Like, and so when pride is present, there's no room for resolve. There's no room for real love. There's no room for humility. Pride is a heavy thing and it'll flourish when it's fed just a little bit. And so he tells us, tells him to take that evaluation and evaluate yourself. I read a quote this week. I love this. He says, it is easier to cry against 1,000 sins of others than to kill one of your own. And that's so true, right? Like it's so much easier to see the issues with other people than it is to acknowledge. And not only acknowledge, but to kill and fight off one of our own issues. Because a lot of times we tell ourselves, well, it's, it's, it's only my issue. And so there's, why, why should I not, like, why can't I just ignore it? Like, it's only my sin. It's not affecting anyone else. Like, why can't I just kind of keep it tucked away in this place, in this dark space where no one sees it, no one knows. Maybe my spouse knows. Maybe my kids know. Maybe my best friend knows. But other people don't know this sin or this sin, these sinful things or this sinful way I act or live or talk or whatever. Like, no one else knows. So, like, if I can just keep this tucked away, and, and, and then, then it's not a problem, right? But that's the thing, you know, the wisest man in, in, that, that ever lived, Solomon, he wrote, he said, who can keep a fire close to their chest and, it, it, and you not be burned by it, right? Because what he's telling us, if you, it, it, these sinful things, these things that we tuck and hide away, like it's inevitable, not only will it affect us, there's nothing that only affects us. I tell my boys this all the time. There's nothing that we do wrong that ever only affects us. We fooled ourselves if we believe that. Because, especially like in the, in the relationship between a husband and wife, if there are things a husband or a wife are dealing with emotionally, mentally, psychologically, sinfully, on their own, inevitably it is going to affect that relationship. It is going to affect the relationship. And not only that, but eventually it's going to come to light and become an issue. And so that's why Jesus is leaning so heavy into this. And he says, listen, you have a log in your own eye. And so there is a process. There is somewhere we need to go within this. Because we have to engage with this because our natural inclination 
is to look at others and not ourselves. John MacArthur said this, he said, People are not naturally inclined to look at themselves honestly, to perform a self-evaluation under the bright and perfect light of God's Word. They know instinctively that their pride and their self-will and love of sin will be exposed under the Lord's righteous standards. And listen, and, and this is the thing, that's true. And that's the hardest thing. That's the hardest thing about dealing with the log in our eye, the sin that we have. You know, and, 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 uh, and the thing about this illustration is a lot of times, and it's the same way with our sin, like we don't think people see it or we don't think that it's affecting anyone. But I don't know about you, but if I had a log in my eye, I believe my wife would notice it. And that's the thing with our sin. A lot of times we don't think people see it, but they see it. They see it on us. They see it in the way we act. They see it in the way we live. They see it in our attitude. They see it in our, in our, in our relationships. They see it in how we, we talk. They see it in how we respond. Like, it's, it's evident that there's a log there. Like, it's, it's not hidden, as hidden as we think it is. And so he continues on here. And, and the thing is, like, like that quote said, it said that, that we're afraid for it to be seen. But the thing is, it's already seen. Like it's visible. Mark 4, 21, 22. And he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? It says, not, not on a stand. It says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. He says, listen, it's coming to light. It's coming. And not only that, but it's already seen. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Remember, we talked about that earlier. Applying verdicts. It says, Jesus is the judge. Let him apply the final verdict. We need to assess our mindset and we need to assess our own sin first. It says, before the Lord comes, he says, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? He will disclose the purposes of the heart and then each one will receive his condemnation, com commendation from God. Romans 14, 10, he says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. James 5, 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Listen, there is nothing that we're navigating in secret that is not already seen by a holy God or that we will face before the final judge, the actual verdict that God says that will be applied. And he tells us, he's calling us to this mindset because he wants us to consider our own sin. Because before we can do anything, and I love how he uses this language in this verse, he says, the first thing you do, the first thing you do in verse 5, he says, first, take the log out of your own eye. And so this is the thing we need to understand because a lot of times we believe because we have sin, because we have a log in our own eye, because we have some type of issue that we're dealing with in secret or in public that people know about so we're ashamed about it, we're covered in guilt, we're in a prison of shame, we can't move forward from it and we believe to ourselves either God doesn't want us to or we don't think we have the ability to. What is the first thing he does, the fix that he gives and this is what I love about Jesus. What Jesus does is he tells us all these things don't judge, don't apply verdicts and if you do, consider the measure. And then as you're assessing your brother's speck, what does he say? Consider the log in your own eye. And so we're looking at these things and we're thinking to ourselves, man, I don't know if I can do this, but what is the next thing Jesus says? He says, first, take the log out of your eye. Jesus would not tell you to do something if you didn't have the power from the Holy Spirit to be able to do it. The problem with a lot of us is we believe we're victims of our circumstance and that we cannot 
beyond the sin that we're experiencing. This is who I am. This is what I've known. This is how I live. And I can't think or live or do anything different. This log is my log, right? This thorn is my thorn. Like we tell ourselves, that's another Bible verse that we'll use and we'll say, well, this is just a thorn in my side. This is just, this is my cross to bear. This is the sin that I just have to live in. No, Jesus says, first take the log out of your eye. You have the power and the ability from the Holy Spirit to be courageous, to be confident, not in your own ability, but in what God intends to do with us. Man, there are some sins in my life that I would have thought at one point or another, there's no way God will, will take these things away. There is no way that God will rescue me from those things. And maybe that's your testimony this morning. Maybe there are sins, sinful thoughts, sinful actions, sinful responses that, that you lived out, that you would have thought to yourself at one point or another, this is who I am and I can't be anything different. That we were in a prison, that you were in shackles, that you thought there's no way I'm going to ever be loosed from these. And maybe here this morning, God re revealed that to you. He, he gave, he, he took the key, he opened the door and he said, come. He said, come on, I've done all the work. I've, I've knocked out the guard, I stole the key, I opened it, and now you just come. Maybe that's you this morning. And if that's you this morning, if you've, if you've taken the, the log out of your eye, if you have followed the, the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit and God in your life to remove that, and if you haven't, this morning I want you to know and be confident that God says that if you have a log in your eye, the first thing you do to navigate reclaiming relationships in your life is remove the log. Don't live as a victim of it. Don't live as, as just a circumstance, the card that you've been dealt. He says, remove it. Remove it. Acknowledge it. Call it out. Say what it is. Find somebody that you can be honest with it about. That's the first steps in really beginning to deal with something is let's manifest it into something that is true instead of pretending like it's not there. Because the worst thing that we do with our sin and the logs in our eyes is we like to pretend like it's not really that big of a deal or it's not real. Right? It's not an issue for me. I just do it every once in a while. Like it's not a problem. That's just I just engage with it occasionally. It's just one of those things. Like, no, it's a problem. It's if it's ever there, it's a problem. And Jesus says we don't have to live as victims of it. We don't have to live under the weight of it. Because the thing is, as much as we don't think it's affecting us, we walk into these doors or we engage with people or we go to our jobs or we try to parent our children and, and it's on our mind. It's on our mind, listen, there, there have been things in my life that if I have engaged in parenting my children, I've thought to myself, like, who am I? Like, who am I to do this? What does it do? It neutralizes us. Sometimes I think back to my sin and the sin that I even currently commit, and I think to myself, like, who am I? Like, I'm no good. Like, why would they even need to listen to me? Like, why would you need to even be here and listen to this? Because that's what the enemy does to us. He neutralizes us and tells us because we have sin and because we have issues that there's no further action, right? That's just where you are. That's who you, who you are. That's your, that's your identity. That defines you. Man, but Jesus says, no, take the log out. Take the log out. Why? He says, because I have a task for you. I know you see that speck. And we're good at assessing people, and we should be. We're built to assess. We're built to visualize. We're built to, to compartmentalize and to engage with each other in the world around us. So he says, he says, I have a job for you. You have to take that log out because I need you to help your brother remove the speck from his eye. There's somebody. There's somebody in your life. He's saying, listen, you need to remove the log from your eye because there's a speck that you need to help with. 
There's a situation that you need to engage with. There's an experience that you have that this person could benefit from if you would lean into their life and say, hey, I've had this log in my eye that blinded me, that affected me, that neutralized me. But man, Jesus helped me get it out. I'm going to help you with this speck. Like We're, we're going to get through this together. So listen, because we have sin and issues, Jesus isn't saying we're neutralized and unusable. He says there's a place, there are people. And listen, maybe that's not just like the people and friends you engage with. Maybe that's our kids. Maybe that's our spouses. Like they are desperately waiting for us to engage with our sin so that we can adequately lean into their life and help them with their speck, with their issues. Listen, and that's not all within the power of what I can do. That's in the power of what God has promised to do with His people. He has promised to help us in that space and to, and to help us navigate that. Proverbs 27, 17, it says, Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. We are meant to engage with each other in our lives. We are not meant to just wipe our hands of each other and say, Hey, if that's how you choose to live and that's what you choose to do, man, good for you. If it makes you happy. No, that is the worst thing we would do for ourselves. That, and we would never apply that to people that we truly love, right? Like if I told my kids, Hey, if you, if you love running out in the middle of the street, man, just go. I hope you have a great time with that it's it's a great place to be no right I love them I don't want them to get hurt I'm gonna tell them no man you shouldn't be there like you shouldn't be doing that listen man God has so much more for you than that and I love you and I'm not saying it from a place where I think I'm better than you because I'm not I have my own issues I have a log in my own eye I'm just trying to help you with your speck I'm here for you how can I help you how can I help clear your eye and that's what Jesus says. He says, deal with the log so that you can have a clear perspective, so that you can be authentic, so that you can humbly enter into that situation. Because the problem is, and historically where the church has failed, is we've had our own logs that we've not dealt with. And so what does it cause us to do? It causes us to never see people the way God sees people. God has no log in his eye. God sees people clearly. God sees people to their heart. God sees that God has a motivation that is pure. And so he tells us, listen, we have to remove our own logs so that we can have a clear view of people, so that we can apply the measure to people that Jesus has applied to us, so that we can hold people accountable, so that we can help them with their speck, so that we can help them help someone else with their speck, right? And I love that because, you know, so if I have the speck, then does everybody else have, or if I have the log, does everyone else have specks? No, really, everybody has logs, but he's showing us that we deal with ours first. Deal with yours. Not to be neutralized, though. Deal with it so that we can lean into the life of other people. Because that's what he's called us to do. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Go and tell him. Engage with him. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you and you have gained a brother. And that's our intention. That should be our motive. Right? We want to gain. And if we're gaining a brother, we're bringing someone else into the fold of God to enjoy the inheritance of what Jesus has given to us. And that's eternal life and joy in Him. And that it doesn't matter what happens around us. It doesn't matter the circumstance we live in. It doesn't matter the opposing forces against us. It doesn't matter what the culture or the community around us does to press against us or God. God says that I guarantee victory in Jesus because He has defeated and overcome sin and death that is the confidence and sin and death is the very thing that is eroding the culture around us it's eroding the family it's eroding men it's eroding women it's destroying everything and God says I've overcome that and we need to get that to other people but they'll never see it unless we're able to remove our own log and then help them 
with this speck in their own. And Jesus is calling us to action, not to sit back on our hands. He's calling us to lean into difficult situations. Listen, iron sharpening iron, I imagine, is a very intense, violent thing. There's going to be sparks. There's going to be all this. It's, it's, it's collision. It's friction. Listen, and that's, that's, that's a relationship, right? We want to reclaim relationships. We need to be willing to have difficult conversations, to have difficult, difficult meetings, to, have, to talk about difficult things that our children, that our spouses, that the people in our church, that our kids, that our community desperately need to hear. Because why? Because it is where life is. True life and joy are found there. Romans 14, 13 says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of your brother. And this is the thing, and, and we're going to finish here, and the band can come up and we'll end with some worship, but a faithful servant of God, church, will see himself as accurately as he sees others. He will recognize his own sinfulness and need for God's mercy and a need he shares with his brothers and sisters in Christ. He will have no reason to consider himself better than others, but follow Paul's teaching in Philippians that says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves. And, and that's where this conversation of log and speck play in. He's the, we're assuming that we're worse off than someone else. If I have a log in my eye and you have a speck, I'm assuming I'm worse off. Like Paul would say, I'm the chief of sinners. Because what that allows me to do is it allows me to step into a relationship not looking down, but to look level, right? To look level. And maybe even some situations to look up. To look up and say, I just want good for you. I'm begging you. I want better for you than where you're headed. I want more for you than what's being told to you that you need. I want you to have a brighter future than what seems to be ahead. I want you to be able to engage with God in a confident way. To know Him. To love Him. To follow Him. Listen, our children, our students, they have a rough, rough, rough road ahead. This is a reality. It's, it's, it's not a it's not a question, it's a reality. They're going to enter into universities. They're going to enter into spaces where God is not present in the minds of people. It's not on the forefront of their teaching prerogative. And if anything, there will be active enemies of God in those spaces. There are active enemies of God in the spaces they're in now. Elementary schools middle schools, high schools, like athletics, it's there. Listen, and you engage with it at work. You engage with it in friendships. And so listen, as we reclaim relationships, bringing people into the brother and sisterhood of Christ, he calls us first, let's consider our motives. What's, what's our reason? Our reason needs to be that we want people to know Jesus. We want people to experience the same measure at which we've experienced. And the second thing is this, acknowledging our own sin can't hide it away anymore. We've got to deal with it. We've got to know it. We've got to manifest it so that someone else sees it. When we communicate it to someone else, it becomes real. Let it become real so that we can start to fight it. And not only that, but know that we do not have to be neutralized because of the log that we're dealing with. God has given us a purpose. 
God has given us a task. God has given us a responsibility to be obedient, to step into relationships of other people and to be able to have difficult conversations, starting with the people that we're discipling in our home, our children and our spouses and moving out from there to our friends, to our family, to our church family, to the people that desperately need to know it. Why? Because there's a whole weight of shame and guilt that people are living under that they're missing what it means to live and to love like Christ has. So church, I want to ask you to do this. If you would stand with me, we're going to consider each other this morning. We're going to consider ourselves and what God has called us to and what God has for us. And let's just begin to seek, seek what it is that Jesus has for you as an individual. Like what does Jesus need to or have to do or reveal to you to begin to take consideration and take serious the log that you're dealing the log in your own eye the issues that are plaguing you that are affecting your vision and not only that but maybe you're feeling neutralized like I'm not usable I can't be used by God to do what he's called me to do help him allow him to reveal to you to bring clarity to you the work at which God has for you God says take the log out of your own eye so that you can take the speck out of your brothers God has a task for God has a job. It's not an easy job. It's an uncomfortable one at times, and it's not always culturally accepted. But God has called you to the greatest task that we can ever be called to, and that is what? To bring people into the fold of God. Bring people into the fold of God. There's a lot of logs and a lot of eyes that are keeping people from walking through that doorway. And God says, let's deal with our own logs so that we can help others with theirs, so that we can begin to love and show the same measure of grace and mercy that God has showed to us do that this morning? Can we pray and seek after that as individuals and know that, that God is calling, God is calling us to his table this morning to engage with the truth and the beauty of his word. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for this time that you've given us to worship you, to know you, to engage with you. God, I pray that in all our, our weakness and all our sin, God, that we can lean towards where you are. God, and know that you have not given up on us. You have not abandoned us. Lord, you have not called us to a space of empty religious obedience, but God, you have called us to a relationship to know you and to engage with you so that we can engage with the world around us, not to be neutralized and God, not to be isolated, but God, to engage with the world around us. Lord, I just pray your blessing over this time. God, and I pray your blessing over all that we do and as we worship you, Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church. Thank you.